Well, great to see you. Thanks so much for your involvement. I know some of you came this morning home to just sit back and relax, but we've really kind of tied you in here and got you involved. So thanks for participating and uh, being a part of the service this morning. Um, I want to start out this morning by asking a question. I want you to think about this. What do you think of when you think of paradise? Okay, when you picture paradise, what does paradise look like to you this morning? Maybe for some of you, it's that, that desert island, you know, the idea of just being on a beach, secluded beach somewhere, just peace and quiet, listening to the waves lap up on the shore. Or maybe you're not a beach person, maybe you're a mountains person. For you, it's being amongst nature and just being up in the mountains, seeing the beauty of creation. But isn't it interesting how if I were to go around here, different people would have different ideas of what they feel like paradise is. And, and the truth is that for some of you, paradise would be someone else's just misery. They'd be like, oh, that sounds terrible. Like for, let me give you an example here. Maybe there are some ladies in the room this morning that when you think of paradise, it's this picture right here. A day of the mall with a credit card and no limit that doesn't have to be paid off. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And the husbands are thinking, oh, that would be terrible to spend all day going around a mall while my wife shops. See, the husbands, ladies, right now, they're not thinking of a day at the mall. No, for husbands here this morning, paradise looks a little bit different. Their paradise might look a little bit more like this. It's a lazy boy. A recliner is parked right in front of the TV, and the, the legs are up. The, the kids are outside playing. In fact, maybe they're not outside. Maybe they're at your parents' house. Maybe they're in a foreign country. However far they have to get from you for it to really be paradise. And... Um, you know, someone's serving you drinks and, and snacks, and you just sat there watching the game. And the wives now are saying, seriously? That's every Sunday. He sits in that chair every week. That's not paradise. That's normal life. But the truth is, we all have different ideas of what paradise would be. And you join us this morning in um, a series. If you've come on a regular basis, you'll know this. If you're just visiting for the first time today, for the last few weeks, we've been doing a series here at Connect called Red Letter Day. And we've actually been building up towards today because today is our Red Letter Day. If you had a calendar, today's date would be in red. There'd be a circle around it because we think Easter Sunday is a pretty big um, occasion on the Christian calendar. It's the day that Jesus rose from the dead, and we are thrilled about that. So we've been building up to that. And over the last four weeks, up until today, we've been looking each week at some of the statements that Jesus made in, in literally the last hours and minutes of his life. We've actually looked at four phrases that Jesus made from the cross while he was on the cross, four statements that he made. And if you're interested, our website uh, keeps track of those. You can go to connectwashington.org and you can listen to them. But this morning, we're actually going to finish out that series. We're going to look at one last statement. And I know that Good Friday is really the day that we think about the crucifixion. But I want you just to come back there with me, if you wouldn't mind, just for a second, because the statement that Jesus makes today that we're going to look at will have such a huge impact on your life this morning as we celebrate resurrection, as we celebrate Jesus rising from the dead. Because Jesus, in one of his, his phrases from the cross, he actually talks about paradise. He talks about a place called paradise. And you're probably familiar with the story, you know, whether you're a, a churchgoer or not, whether you're a Christ follower or not this morning. Maybe you've grown up and you're somewhat familiar with the story of Jesus and Easter. Maybe this image is quite a familiar one for you of, of three crosses. 
And we know that Jesus, he wasn't crucified alone. There was actually two criminals we're told about, one on either side of him. And this statement about paradise was a phrase that Jesus made to one of these two criminals. You see, they were right there, these, these criminals, one on his right, one on his left. The Bible doesn't tell us an awful lot about the two of them. We don't know where they're from. We don't know how old they were. We don't know what they even did to deserve this punishment. But we do know this. We know that both of them interacted with Jesus. We know that one of the criminals, he looked at Jesus and and he hurled insults at him. He says, you called yourself the Christ. You saved others. Why don't you save yourself and save us? But we know that the other one's attitude was different. He had a very short, a very simple conversation, but that conversation changed his eternity. And I believe this morning it, it could change yours. You see, when the repentant thief looked at Jesus, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And we're told that Jesus looked at the criminal that really only deserved death. And in a moment of remarkable grace-filled words, Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, we can read all about this interaction. There's a uh, a gentleman by the name of Luke. He was one of four writers who tells the story of Jesus' life. And um, we're going to take a look at that in a second. It's Luke chapter 23. If you have a Bible, you can kind of start getting ready to be there. And uh, if you've got an app on your phone, you can look that up. So Luke 23, we're going to look at this story in a little bit more detail. But while you get yourself ready, I've got another question for you. Some of you are like, seriously, I've shaken an egg. I'm answering questions. What's this about? I just wanted to come and sit in church and and then leave. But no, it's Involvement Sunday. We're going to get you involved today. So uh, this is the next question I have for you. So you're going to do a little bit of thinking out there. What I want you to do is on a scale of 1 to 100, okay, from 1 to 100, I want you to determine in your mind how good are you, okay? 1 to 100, how good are you? Now, uh, just to clarify, you know, so you understand what's going on here. On our scale, one is the very bottom of the scale. Okay, so one, that's your, your axe murderer. That's your war criminal. That's your fan of country music. So that would be like right at the... Uh... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thanks for coming to Connect. We'll never see you again. Um, that, that's, the, <laughs> that's one in the scale, okay? Your other end, your top end, that's the high 90s. That's your Mother Teresa, uh, your Billy Graham, uh, my wife, Casey Jane. Uh, those are the high... <laughs> no, I'm serious. No, she's married to me, so that puts her way up in the high 90s. I mean, it would test even the saintliness of Mother Teresa having to live with me. But she's wonderful. So, um, but just one little um, precursor here. Some of you, you look great out there this morning. You've got your bow ties on. You're feeling pretty good, okay? And uh, you're like, already you've given yourself 100. Sorry. No, no hundreds in here this morning, okay? There might be a 99 point something, but Jesus, I'm afraid, is the only 100. All right? So you've had a little moment to think here, so... Here's what I'm going to do. It's going to get interactive. In just a second here, you're going to turn to the person next to you, and you're going to tell them what your number is. <laughs> yeah, some of you have just changed your number, haven't you? You're like, oh, in that case. <laughs> so if you came with a loved one or a spouse or a friend, you can tell them. If you came alone and you're sat next to a stranger, this is going to be a lot of fun right now because they're about to find out exactly who they've parked themselves next to. So uh, on three, and we won't do it too loud, but just one, two, three, tell the person next to you, what's your number? How 
All right, I see some, yes, I see some laughing, I see some looks of shock and horror. I see some wives looking at husbands going, seriously? You really think? Let's try halving that, buddy, and then we might be in the ballpark. Um, there are five young men sat in the front row here. Two of them are my sons and three of them are their friends. And from somewhere in that region, I heard a 92. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to be talking to those boys afterwards about how, how math works. So, um, so here's the deal this morning, okay? Because let's be honest, there's a little bit of a problem when it comes to numbering ourselves. And, and the truth is, although none of us sit there each day checking our charts and figuring out what number we are, we do fall into that trap, don't we? We try to ascertain just how good we are, and, and maybe we kind of think where we are on this scale. And, and what we end up doing is, it's not so much what our number is, it's what our number is in comparison to others. Because that's what happens. We kind of fall into this comparison game. And, and sometimes to, to make ourselves feel a little bit better, you know, our number might be, it might be better than this person. So this morning, let's say, for example, you gave yourself a 60, okay? Uh, maybe you heard someone around the room, you just heard a whisper, and they were in the 40s, and you're like, Yes. Oh, I am so, I don't know who they are, but I'm way better than them. So I was in the 60s. Or maybe the opposite happened. Maybe you gave yourself a 60, you were feeling pretty good, and then from somewhere over this area of the room, you heard a 92, and you're like, seriously? Man, maybe I'm not doing so good. And you feel worse about yourself. But that's what we do, isn't it? We kind of compare ourselves one to another. So if we want to feel better, we look at that person, we say, you know what, I don't cuss like they do, I'm not a bad person, I, I try to help people who are in need, sometimes I give money, uh, I go to church every now and again, I'm, I'm generally a pretty good person. I try hard, I've never killed anyone, I don't cheat on my taxes, or at least it's not as much as other people do, so, you know, all in all, I'm, I'm pretty good. And we feel good about ourselves, because comparatively, we're better than here. But then some days, don't you find yourself caught in that trap because you're like looking, thinking, what is it with that person? They've always got their act together. Maybe you're a, a Christ follower this morning and you go through struggles and this person just seems to be doing great. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus this morning. You're just, you know, in a position where, you know, I'm trying to live my life here and this person just has it together. You could be a mum in the room this morning. I think mums are brilliant, and, and our wives, they're fantastic. They do so much. And, and maybe you're one of those mums who, you know, you're just working hard all the time. You're trying to manage the kids and do all that you've got to do. And, and you, you go to the store one day, and, you know, you have to rush out that morning, so you didn't really get time to, to really put on that great of an outfit, you know, or do your hair. And there you are in the grocery store, and you've got one kid pulling stuff off the shelves, another one in the cart screaming. And around the corner comes that friend of yours, and you love her. You're happy to see her, but... She's just always, everything, the kids are like single file. They're singing a little song they learned in church that week. You know, they're, they're helping mom put stuff in the grocery car. In fact, you had to double take because you swore there were like some cartoon birds just flying around her head as she walked down the aisle. And you're like, I know I should love her, and I do, but sometimes, oh, she really annoys me. <laughs> Because she just seems to have it together. And that comparison game, it goes both ways, doesn't it? Sometimes we feel better about ourselves, and sometimes we don't feel so good about ourselves. And that's why the comparison game isn't a good game to be a part of. But we do it. Because we want to be good enough. We want to try and make sure we're as good as we can be. So we, we do whatever we can to try and be good enough. Now this morning I want to talk about these two individuals, neither of whom, it appears, were good enough. 
So let's take a look at what Luke has to say about these two criminals that were hanging on the crosses either side of Jesus. We read about them in Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 33. It says, two others, both criminals, so in case there was any doubt, these guys are not good people. They were led out to be executed with him, Jesus. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him, Jesus, to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Now this morning, I need to explain a little bit more about this because it's really important that you understand who these guys were. You see, crucifixion was actually one of many different ways that the Romans used to punish people, either punish or kill people. In actual fact, it was one of the least used ways because it was so, um, it was so expensive to do it. It was a very big task. There were much easier ways to punish and kill people in those Roman times. Crucifixion demanded up to four Roman soldiers to carry out the act of putting the person on the cross. They then needed one centurion to stand guard, and sometimes it could be days that that person could be on the cross before they died. So it was very costly, very in-depth, very detailed things. So, so there was a reason that they did crucifixions. It was because sometimes, even though it was expensive and costly and a lot of work, sometimes they needed to do one of two different things. One was either to, um, or actually to do both things, to publicly humiliate that person. They wanted everyone to know. Crucifixion was a very public thing, and the Romans wanted everyone to know. This, you're going to learn a lesson this morning. You need to know what this person did to get them in this spot. And the second thing was to cause the most amount of pain possible. Did you know the word excruciating that we use now when talking about pain comes from this particular act, ex crucifix, excruciating. It's talking about the most immense pain that you can imagine. So in these times, the Romans, and they, it was very rare that a Roman would be crucified. They would use this on Jews and on slaves. So knowing all this about the crucifixion story, we now know two things. One, just how humiliating this was that Jesus went through this for us. This was a terrible death that he had to go through. But we know a second thing now this morning as well. We don't know what those two criminals did, but we know that whatever they did, it was bad enough for them to be given the, the, the penalty of crucifixion over any other punishment of the time. So we know that whatever these two criminals did, this was a, a bad place that they were in. These were not good people. So with that in mind, let's read on. It says that one of the criminals who hung there, he hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal, he rebuked him. He says, don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence. He continued, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus, he's done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered this guy who could do nothing right at that moment, who couldn't make up for the wrong that he'd done, who only deserved death. Jesus answered him and he said, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. I think this story, perhaps above all others, illustrates one of the most important truths in life. And it also corrects one of the biggest misunderstandings that we fall into in the world today. And that misunderstanding is this, and, and bear with me here because it, it won't sound right first, but the misunderstanding is that good people 
go to heaven. You see, we're not really sure if we believe that how good, you know, is it like 50 and above? Maybe your last 10 years you've been good and that's made up for the 10 years before that because you, you weren't so good. And most of us find ourselves falling into this trap where we believe, well, I'm not as bad as others or I, I hope I'm good enough or if I try really hard and I'm a good person, at least sort of good, so that, that surely good people will go to heaven. But then I read about this interaction between Jesus and those thieves and I find that in this situation, that's not the case. You see, this particular story that we're talking about today, it illustrates perfectly that good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. It's not that good people go to heaven. It's that forgiven people go to heaven. Do you know there's a huge difference between those two? You see, the reality is, when I say that good people don't go to heaven, it's because, let's be honest, none of us are good. There's another man in, in Scripture. His name was Paul, and he wrote a letter to the church in Romans. He said that only God alone is good. He also said that every one of us, we fall short of the standard of perfection that God has given us. So the good news for that thief on the cross, the good news for every one of us on this Easter Sunday morning, is that good people do not go to heaven, forgiven people go to heaven. And we discover in this short interaction between these criminals and Jesus that they are both very different. Not much is said between the two, but enough is said that we can see some glaring differences between one criminal and the other. We see that one was angry and was, was bitter, but one sought forgiveness. One sought to make things right. And I want to look just for a few minutes this morning at the forgiven criminal because I think we can learn about forgiveness this morning from what took place with him. You see, the first thing that happened with a forgiven criminal is that he was willing to admit that he was wrong. The forgiven criminal, he admitted he was wrong. Listen to what he says in Luke 23, 41. He says, we're punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. The truth is this morning, none of us want to admit we're wrong or bad. That's why we like the comparison game. Because we can feel better about ourselves as long as we're just better than most. But here's the problem. What happens when we compare ourselves to Jesus, who is 100? We find that we all fall short, that none of us are good. And if we're really honest with ourselves this morning, we could all probably say the truth is, I'm not good at, at the very core. Now, you may have grown up believing you were good. I did. I remember my mum and dad, I was growing up, and their friends would, would be over, and they'd say, oh, David, he's such a good boy. Oh, little David, he's a good little boy. And I believed that for a while. But uh, things then started to happen in my life. I, I was thinking about this message, praying, and I just went back to little David, and uh, I remembered this chapter of my life where we used to go and visit my nan, this is my, my dad's mom, and uh, me and my sister and my mom and dad, we'd go and visit her, and she lived about half an hour away, and we'd go and see her a few times throughout the year, and it was always so much fun going to see her, because she owned a shop, and we loved going to her shop. She'd let us go in during the day, and me and my sister, she'd let us come behind the counter, and she'd let us ring the register and help people with change, and it was just really fun to be at my nan's shop, and then she lived above the shop, so we'd go up there when the shop closed, and we'd have dinner up there, and we'd watch TV, and sometimes me and my sister, we'd be allowed to go downstairs, and we could play in the shop. There was no customers there, and she'd let us go down and play in the shop. Now, all this sounds just fine, 
until you discover what kind of shop my nan ran. You see, my nan, she owned a sweet shop. Okay, now that's going to lose a bit of translation here to my American friends in the crowd this morning, which is pretty much all of you. So um, a sweet shop is a candy shop. Okay, and it's amazing, you know, because I grew up thinking this was perfectly natural. I started to think about this this week. Surely she must have sold something other than just candy. I mean, how would a shop ever survive selling nothing but candy? And she sold some newspapers and some magazines, but really, that's all she sold. And then I'm like, I know why, because she sells British candy. (laughs) And you could make a killing selling British candy, because it is the best candy in the world. And I'm not biased in any way whatsoever. I also think soccer's the best game in the world. So you're starting to see some uh, trends here from this guy. But, um, but yeah, she sold this wonderful British candy. This is a flake bar, and it's great. And uh, I'm going to give this as a gift to my friend here who's from Scotland. And it's been a while since she's probably had a, a flake. So there you go. Well done. <laughs> so her sat up there this morning, a little bit of English candy. She'll share that with her son a little bit. But... Um, so I can remember going downstairs in this candy shop, this sweet shop, and uh, me and my sister, we'd kind of play, and I, I was very helpful. I would straighten the candy. You know, if it was in a mess, I'd kind of move it in the, in the trays and everything. And, you know, there was a few trays where there was lots of little penny sweets, little penny piece, you know, one, one cent piece of candy, you know, and they always were jumbled. And if I tried to straighten it, there was always one or two that didn't really quite fit. And I thought, you know, I'm kind of helping her out a little bit, you know. It's, I'm doing her a favor. If I could just get those out of the way, it just looks so much neater. Now, what to do with these two? Uh, you know, um, I, I know, what? I realized I'm bad. <laughs> but... If you could all eat that flake this morning, you'd understand the immense temptation that I was under, okay? But as a little kid in a candy shop, that, I think, was the moment when I realized, man, I'm not little David, good little David. And every one of us, we could go back, you know, we could remember. Let's be honest, some of us have to just go back to last night, and we can remember or yesterday, during the day, whatever it was, that there is something in our life. Whether it's something we stole, whether it's a lie, whether we've cheated, whatever it may be, we've all done something. None of us are completely good. And here's the problem with that. There's a, there's a guy by the name of James. He writes a book in the Bible. And you need to understand the pressure this guy was under. James was the brother of Jesus. He was the earthly brother of Jesus. Mary and Joseph had another son whose name was James. So James grew up probably hearing, why can't he be more like your brother? He heals the sick. He raises the dead. I mean, that's pressure growing up in that family. But James was a follower of Jesus. He got it. He understood who Jesus was. And listen to what he said when he was writing this particular letter. He says, the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. What James is telling us there, unfortunately, here this morning, is you may only do one thing wrong, but as soon as you do, you become as guilty as anyone who's broken every law there is. So depending on which way you want to look at it this morning, this is either good news for you or bad news for you, because it doesn't matter if you're a 12, a 48, a 72, or a 99.99. If you're not a 100, you've fallen short. The forgiven criminal, he got that. He admitted he was wrong. He, he said to Jesus, I've sinned, I've done something wrong. But that wasn't the only thing. He does a second thing as well. So he acknowledges the wrong that he's done. But listen to the second thing he does. He asks Jesus for eternal help. He cries out to Jesus on the cross next to him saying, Jesus, don't forget me. 
You see, the truth is that many people still ask God for help. You may be one of them today. I mean, people who believe in God, there are people who don't believe in God, still find themselves at time crying out for help. Um, In actual fact, the first thief did this. We can read that he said, Jesus, if you're the Christ, save yourself. And hey, while you're at it, save us too. It was almost like a, hey, if this is really, you know, it's like a, a desperate prayer. And we do that sometimes. God, please answer this prayer. Help me to get the promotion. Please help her to say yes when I ask her to prom. Please help me to buy the house. Please help me get that raise. God, if I promise never to do that again, please help me to get away with that and not be in trouble. And we cry out those desperate prayers. And, but that's not what this second criminal was doing. He was saying, God, I believe you are who you say you are. Would you remember me? Listen to what he says. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. He said, Jesus, I believe you. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe, Jesus, this is not the end. And I need your help beyond this. I need your help eternally. Here's what amazes me most, I think, about this particular interaction between Jesus and these two different criminals. We know that both were guilty. We know both were suffering severely. We know both were dying. We know that both were in need of a savior, that both heard and saw those same things during those fateful six hours. But we also know that one asked to be forgiven and one didn't. And the reality is that every one of us this morning, we are one of those two thieves. The sad truth is there are people here this morning who maybe just came to visit because it was Easter Sunday and you've become aware of the fact, man, you know what? I don't think I am good enough. I don't think I can ever be good enough. And you're kind of relating now to the forgiven thief saying, I want to know what it means to be forgiven. But there are others here this morning who maybe relate to the other thief and say, you know what? I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if he is who he said he is. And just like that story we read about with those two thieves, there are some here this morning who may say, you know what? That's not for me. And I hope that's not the case. I pray that's not the case. I pray every one of you will be able to relate to that that thief who said, Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life. Get this this morning. If you're an 88, Jesus will be your 12. If you're a 12 this morning, Jesus will be your 88. In fact, let's be honest, if we're getting technical here, we're all zeros, and he is our 100. And here's another truth about this this morning that's going to shake some of you a little bit because you're going to have a hard time believing this because you've been working at it so much because you've been trying so hard to be good enough. Do you know what else we know about this particular thief? The forgiven criminal on the cross, he couldn't do any good works. His hands were bound. He couldn't turn over a new leaf. His feet were nailed to the cross. This guy couldn't give money to some organization because he couldn't get down. He couldn't start over and say, from now on, I'll always do this or or I'll never do this. He couldn't do anything in that moment but trust in the grace of Christ, saved by faith in him, not by works, because the reality is this. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And that's the the statement, that's the the question I want you to ponder this morning. Because Jesus did that for every one of us this morning. You know, for thousands of years now, churches have met like this on Easter Sunday, and the pastor or the priest or the minister stood and said, He is risen. And we celebrate the fact that He is risen. 
and he's bringing new life. And many this morning have discovered that new life. But maybe you're visiting here this morning and you've not yet discovered that new life. Maybe that phrase, he is risen, isn't as real to you this morning as it is to some here this morning who have made a decision to follow Jesus, like that thief, that repentance thief upon the cross. But maybe you're here this morning and you feel like, man, I don't want to miss that chance. So the band are going to come out now, and they're going to um, sing a final song for us here this morning. And the song is a very powerful song. It speaks all about Jesus and his, his death and the crucifixion and why he had to die. And as they're singing this song, I want you to um, listen along to the words. My prayer is that this morning, if you've found yourself just visiting, but now you're, you're, you're questioning, man, I'm not sure what I believe about Jesus. I'm not sure which of those two thieves I find myself most like. Then I want you during this song just to be open to allow God to speak to you. I believe he can. As you sit there just praying quietly, I believe he can speak to you. And, and some of you this morning, these connection cards that Dan talked about earlier, some of you this morning, I believe you can make a decision. You know, on the back of the card, there's a couple of boxes. One says, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the first time. That might be you. You may never have made that decision before, but this morning you know that you tried really hard to be good enough, but good enough you've discovered isn't good enough. Forgiven is what's good enough. And by checking that box, you're, you're basically lining yourself up with that thief and saying, Jesus, I want to be forgiven. I want you to remember me in paradise. Maybe you grew up in church and it's been a long time since you've been back. There's another box here that says, I'm recommitting my life to Jesus. During this song, you could take a moment and you could check that box instead. Or maybe today when you go out to lunch with the folks who brought you, your friends or your family, you could tell them, hey, I really, I felt something in church this morning. And they could talk to you about what God's done in their lives. But don't lose the moment today to do something about it. Let's listen to the words of this song as the band sings. So the bottom line this morning is that you are one of two thieves on one of two crosses. You know, though the repentant thief was hanging on a cross with spikes through his hands and through his feet, though he was fighting for every breath, though his life was slipping away, he saw something that the other thief had missed. When he looked at Jesus, something in his heart changed. We don't know when it was or what caused it. We don't know if it was right there in that moment as he watched Jesus dying on a cross. Maybe he knew of Jesus and the life he'd lived. But something happened that caused one thief to respond differently, differently than the other. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you relate to that thief and you've realized, I'm not good enough. I need to be forgiven. I want to have that kind of relationship with God. Maybe when you heard Rodney's story, it rung true with you. You know, Rodney's new to Connect Church, and uh, I loved hearing his story. How he too, like that thief on the cross, he came to a moment in his life, coming along at church, where he realized, you know what? I need Jesus. And I loved what he said, because he said, you know, at first I hadn't got it all figured out, but I couldn't deny what I was experiencing of God in here. And I believe some of you this morning have experienced that, even this morning. So don't miss the opportunity like that thief had to respond in some way today. Can we pray together? Jesus, we 
we celebrate on this Easter Sunday. Good Friday, it was a sad day, Lord. It was good for us, but it was sad because you laid down your life. And what we've discovered this morning was an excruciating, painful death. But Jesus, it was your love for us that compelled you to do that. It was the fact that you knew that we would never be a hundred. And you needed to come and bridge that gap. And you did that for us. And now this morning we celebrate you are risen. And many of us this morning know the risen Jesus in our lives. But I pray for those, Lord, who maybe don't, who haven't made that decision, that they wouldn't miss this opportunity to say, you know, I recognize that I'm not good enough. I admit that I've messed up. And Jesus, I need your help. I need your eternal help in my life. I pray that that will be the prayer of many here this morning on this great Easter morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the truth is this morning that, as I said, you may not have liked to hear it, but we're not good enough. I told the story about taking sweets from my nan's shop. Maybe that was the moment when you took the cup out of your purse. Well, you can keep the cup. Those are our gifts to you. But don't leave without an opportunity this morning to respond like Jesus did to that guy and know that today you could also know what it means to be with Jesus in paradise. Have a fantastic week. Happy Easter. And come back next week and see us again. We'd love to see you.